0: Life by the Knife (music) Julie Wilson's long, manicured fingernails outlined the hollows under her eyes, the thickening jawline and the crepe-skin neck. Bending forward, she looked at herself critically in the mirror and was suddenly conscious of her age. No, 40 was not old, but it certainly was not young looks were a tool of trade for julie and during the last few years had cost her a good deal of money her job in public relations for a large hotel required a slim well-presented woman with plenty of confidence and as the looks were diminishing so was the confidence with a sigh the arguably middle-aged woman checked out her bank statements they had seemed healthy enough before her critical self-scrutiny but with a complete renovation of body parts by the surgeon's knife, it might become decidedly slimmer. She reached for her mobile.
1: Hi Trish, it's Julie.
0: Her older sister Patricia responded warmly. The two women got on well enough, even though they did not overuse their family relationship. They had both taken up residence in Australia ten years before, after a few financial skirmishes in the States. Life in Melbourne had gone smoothly, at first, but after five years, both had decided to move again, this time due to man trouble. Each had found the right man and considered them as husband material, but apparently the men already had wives, who were reluctant to give up their marital claim. So, for the last five years, they had been living and working in the Sunshine State. They exchanged gossip and spoke of personal matters until Julie took an opportunity to change the subject.
1: Um, I was wondering if you could give me some idea of how much all your makeover ops cost, just in round numbers?
0: The phone went quiet for a moment as Patricia reflected and then said, Well, I guess you're talking about the three ops, face, boobs and liposuction.
1: Yes. I'm talking about the whole works. I'm afraid the time has come to do more than put a finger in the dam. I need a whole reconstruction program, like you.
0: She added as only a sister could. With open admission, Patricia gave her a rundown of the outlays she had made over the last couple of years. And the figures made Julie wince.
1: How? I just don't have that kind of money. Any chance it can be done through medical health benefits? Not a hope.
0: There was a pause for a moment, then a chuckle, before she added, (laughs) Mind you, there was before stopping abruptly. She hesitated even after Julie kept pushing. But what? Finally, she gave in. Well, when I was in hospital the last time, I heard of this surgeon, apparently an excellent one at that, who was prepared to cut costs. Julie was intrigued. I like the sound of him. Her sister continued reluctantly. Well, apparently he's a horny toad and often makes overtures towards his patients, which, of course, is madly unethical. Then, if you're smart enough, you can sort of persuade him to put in an extremely low account as sort of payoff. Julie listened with mounting interest.
1: What's his name? And how do I get in touch with him?
0: Patricia suddenly changed her attitude. Hey, sis, cut the crap. Surely you wouldn't consider going ahead with a plan like that. You've got no idea what you would be getting into. She began to remind her sister about some of their escapades in Melbourne, but from the languid voice at the end of the line, realized it was no use. She was right. Julie wasn't listening. She was gyrating in front of the mirror, picturing how she would look with a tummy tuck and new, pert breasts. It's getting better. How do I get in touch with him? was her only response. Six weeks later, Julie was sitting up in a hospital bed, feeling nauseous with a racking headache. Her body resembled an Egyptian mummy in its elastic corset, but she had been assured all the operations had been successful, so it was worth the pain. And, of course, the price was negotiable. Not that she intended paying it. Not now that she had what she wanted, even though Dr. Nicholas Hyle was quite a dish. Julie stretched out for a glass of water and a couple of painkillers and made herself comfortable for sleep. Comfortably installed in his expensive medical suite in Wickham Terrace, Dr. Nicholas Hyle had very different thoughts about his investment. He was under the impression that he was going to get a good return on his time and effort. Not him personally. This particular patient was a bit too old for his taste. But he knew plenty of business acquaintances anticipating good returns on their favours. Setting up a practice like his took money and that needed backers. Then there were the bookies. Stressful work like surgery needed recreation, opportunities for excitement and the adrenaline to run. Oh yes, bookies were expensive too, but fortunately on the whole they were not among the world's beautiful people and often found it hard to attract a good-looking date. Also, they too were encumbered by debts. So, transferable collateral even in the form of conceited women who owed Nicholas big time, was an invaluable asset. Nick Heil enjoyed his work. Like a sculptor creating a thing of beauty, he considered himself an artist, or even a god. He tricked nature by change and manipulated time by restoring the beauty that years had eroded. Therefore, he had no guilt when entering patients into the health scheme to suit his own needs and even less when he extracted the payment necessary to execute them. And so it was that three months later, Julie's world crashed. She had received a call from Dr. Hyor suggesting they meet in a small bistro in the West End. She had been tempted, but knowing the evening would carry expectations, she demurred delicately. She was not surprised when he insisted more strongly, but upset when he delivered his final remark, which Julie construed nervously to be a threat.
1: Miss Wilson, if you value your pretty new face, I strongly suggest you go to the High Hopes Bar at 8 o'clock next Friday.
0: She had tried to ring Trish to tell her of these rather nasty developments and ask her what she thought he had meant, but her sister was unusually unsympathetic. Come on, be practical. You've gained about $50,000 worth of product. You didn't think it was for free, did you? And it isn't the first time you've promised sex for a payoff. You've got a car in the garage to prove it. Look, get real, woman. You know what you were getting into. But Julie had not known. She had thought she could control the situation to suit her. She always had in the past. So she went to the meeting place with confidence... And a fifty thousand dollar smile. However, once she saw the stranger sitting at the prearranged dim corner, the smile came off in a hurry. She finally had a glimmer of what was expected of her, and the confidence waned. He was a fat man, not particularly unattractive, but with a florid complexion and rough, coarse manner. As she approached the table, a grin flickered on his face like a cat who had been expecting cream and got it.
1: Good old Nick is certainly churning you lovely girls out at quite a rate. Let's have a drink, then we can go on to a place just a little more intimate.
0: This was accompanied by a leer and a wink. Julia's hospital nausea returned triple-fold and her reaction was immediate.
1: I'm, I'm so sorry. I really am. There has been a big mistake,
0: she blurted out, and in one swift movement turned for the door. She was aware of him rising, possibly more in bewilderment than anything else, before she literally began to run from the room. Outside, in the main street, she was thankful that her car was parked nearby and drove as fast as she could to Patricia's apartment. Once installed in her sister's sophisticated unit at Dockside, Julie found her tension easing, as she laughed her embarrassment into her scotch. <laughs> I,
1: I don't know what came over me. It was silly. Stupid. I was expecting to meet with Dr. Hyall himself. But this guy, well, he was gross. Even so, I should have had a civilized drink with him. Then when he wanted to move on, I could have just acted as if Hyal had set up a blind date for me. Maybe made an excuse. Wished him well, then left. Instead of that, I ran like a kid.
0: Trish paced the floor, and when she finally sat down in front of Julie, her attitude was anything but easy. Look, you little idiot, this was no blind date. You're in deep shit, and I don't want to be part of it. I want you to have your drink, then get the hell out of here, and take my advice. Ring Heil. "'apologize profusely and tell him you'll do what he wants.' "'Julie looked at her sister's angry face in bewilderment. "'What do you mean? Have you gone crazy?' "'I warned you at the beginning, I didn't think this a good idea. "'I wish I hadn't mentioned it, but I admit, I didn't realise myself. "'Then, just what was going on?' "'What do you mean?' "'Julie's voice was still bland, but inside... She was very frightened. Just before you arrived, I had a telephone call. An anonymous call. He just said, Tell your sister she'll make a beautiful corpse. What? The voice was even more distraught. Look, Jules, I've been making some inquiries at the casino. Hyal is part of a group of successful young men who are making their mark in different areas. They are bankrolled by unknown sources, to start their careers. And those unknown sources expect paybacks like you experience this evening. Patricia had worked for many years at the Treasury Casino, first as a croupier and then, as the years began to take their toll on her face and figure, as a floor manager. She was in a position to pick up a lot of information, some of it she used to self-advantage and some she kept quiet about. But now was the time for some face-to-face disclosures, and she just hoped it wasn't too late. It's possible I'm just fanciful about the telephone call, but it sounded real to me. And there's plenty of unsolved crimes around the city to suggest there's a network in place. Crimes? Like... What? Like bashings, disfigurements, yeah, and maybe murder. They leave a message that is pretty clear, that revenge will be wreaked on those who welch on deals. Patricia resumed her pacing. And whether or not it's Hyle himself or someone behind him, it's not just you at risk now, Jules. They know you're my sister, and knew you'd come here. And if things don't go
1: their way, I could lose my job. And I could lose my life. Christ, Trish, what am I going to do?
0: Julie spoke quietly, but with mounting hysteria. Patricia filled up her sister's glass and poured a stiff drink for herself. It was time for some heavy talking and family compassion. The following afternoon, Julie found herself alone and heading south on the midday train. Her gaze was constantly drawn to her newly created identity, reflected in the window of the grimy carriage window. Trish had raided a cast-off clothes trunk that stored the history of her student days. Always inclined to be the more outrageous of the two, the once highly fashionable Patricia now kept the clothes for Halloween. The final selection bordered on farce. A black sheath, discarded two decades before, was accompanied by scarlet tights and high stiletto sandals.
1: Dear God, I can't wear that. It doesn't suit me at all. I would
0: never wear red tight with red stilettos. The more conventional Julie had exclaimed, That's the whole point, Trish had responded with irritation, and added a blonde curly wig to cover Julie's dark urchin cut. The addition of an abundance of cosmetics completed the transformation. Although Julie felt ridiculous, more importantly, she agreed she looked nothing like her usual self, and she needed to know that to give her the courage to make a getaway. The two women had walked brazenly out of Patricia's apartment to a waiting taxi, and after a few change and changeabouts on the public transport system, Julie had finished up on the overnight train to Sydney. After an hour or so locked in the lady's cramped toilet, she finally felt safe to come out and tentatively walked the corridor until she found a compartment with one middle-aged woman inside. As the train sped further and further away from her home, her job, and her life, she had time to reflect on the last few weeks. She had replaced her fading beauty by a few fading scars, but had lost a hell of a lot more. Never one to save a cent from a liberal income, she was now conscious that everything she owned was in her apartment, and most of that was on payment plans. Anyway, only God knew when she would feel safe to return there. It was late and cold when Julie got off the train at Sydney's Central Station. The early dawn light was still an hour or so away. With little credit to draw on, and only the few dollars Trish had given her, she had little money to waste in a hotel. She walked across to Hyde Park where she found an empty seat she could rest on before the chore of job hunting and re-establishing a life. It began to rain lightly, and she shivered, thinking longingly of her cosy apartment back in Brisbane.
1: Hey lady, you look cold.
0: Why not come back to my place for a little R&R? She looked up with disgust at the dark-set man in front of her. Even from that distance, it was obvious his old-fashioned trench coat was filthy, and from the smell, his personal hygiene was no better.
1: Go away, you disgusting creature.
0: Forgetting that her clothes, makeup, and garb advertised a new identity, Julie found herself responding with repugnance. She got up to move away.
1: Why, you fucking bitch? No one speaks to me like that, especially no fucking tart.
0: The man grabbed her and slapped her across the face. For a split second, she was stunned into mute stillness. Then anger surged through her. She lunged back trying to knee his groin. It missed its mark, but her stiletto landed in the soft flesh of his thigh. They both fell to the ground, their bodies writhing in the shadowy moonlight. With monumental effort, Julie pulled herself away and tried to stand, but her ridiculously high heels could not take her unbalanced weight, and she fell down again. The man grabbed once more, this time clutching at her leg. She thrust and kicked until, with satisfaction, once more felt the softness of flesh. The stiletto had found the socket of his eye. With a howl of pain, the man crumpled into a fetal position, allowing Julie to crouch for a moment to catch her breath. But it was a big mistake. She stayed a fraction too long. It was long enough for him to partially recover from his pain and to lash out in return. She felt the thin, sharp blade of the knife as it cut first "'along the side of her wrinkle-free face, "'across her finely chiselled throat, "'and then down into the folds of her newly created bosom. "'She could not feel much pain at first. "'Rather, she was fascinated "'as the early morning's rays of the sun shone "'with an eerie brightness on the bright red blood "'that was forming a tapestry of fine rivulets "'now trickling down her arm. "'A state of calmness invaded her "'as she lay on the damp grass.' She couldn't move, so she no longer had to fight to defend herself. She could just lie and rest. In fascination, she watched the bright red blood as it continued its trail. And indeed, the last thing the fashion-conscious Julie could think of was how well the colour coordinated with her scarlet tights. You have been listening to Life by the Knife. Written and read by Brianna Cross. Performed by Brianna Cross, John Cross and and Billy May. If you would like more information about the stories at Fast Fiction Podcasts, please go to fastfictionpodcasts.com or to our Facebook page. Thank you.